So it's a, it's a dynamic process, actually. And it's not about reaching a certain state of inclusion, but rather having these processes there, these open conversations and the openness to, to change things. And that's really what inclusion is. So my guest for today's episode is Brooke. And Brooke is a professor at the University of Amsterdam. Has quite an impressive track record and is very passionate about the topic DEI. Brooke has also been working on a, an inclusion framework. Personally, I believe she makes the topic inclusion very practical and tangible. So I really enjoyed listening to her story. So we will talk about inclusion. How can you make them more practical into your organization? And we even touch upon shouldn't DEI be a even a course in high school? Aren't we maybe a bit too late if we start working on diversity and inclusion in a business setting? So that and much more. Um, so I hope you will enjoy this episode today. Uh, welcome, Brooke, in my podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. What was the reason that you said yes to recording this podcast with me? I really like the format. Uh, I think the little, the shorter podcasts make a lot of sense and the topics you're covering are incredibly relevant for everything we're dealing with today. Could you quickly introduce yourself for everyone who's listening and doesn't know you yet? Yeah, so I'm uh, Brooke Gosdog. I'm an organizational psychologist by training. I'm working at the University of Amsterdam as a professor in management and leadership. And I'm really passionate about topics like leadership, negotiation, and diversity and inclusion. Cool. Thank you. Hey, and today we are mainly going to talk about inclusion. It's always a bit of a difficult topic for me because I think that if we look at, uh, I always use the word DE&I today. I think we shifted from DNI to DE&I. Uh, but if I look at those three components of that, then inclusion is, I think, always the most abstract one for people. Uh, is that something that you also experience in your work? A hundred percent. I agree. I, we're, we're working on it from the research side quite a bit, trying to define it, what it is, what it isn't, what domains does it cover, who's involved, even getting the terminology right, like includer or includee, and making sure that everybody has a shared understanding of, of what inclusion looks and feels like is, is certainly a challenge. Yeah. And I really like that definition part because I think it's always good to make sure that everyone has the same definition of what we are talking about. If you would define inclusion and the people involved, you mentioned the two uh, terms already for it. What would be your definition of those three things? So I think inclusion, the, the working definition that we're, we're developing right now, actually on a research project is this co-creation between the includer. So the, the person maybe more established in the organization or somebody who's part of a say majority group member uh, and the includee. So the person trying to be integrated, included, making sure that their, their needs are addressed. And so it's a, it's a dynamic process, actually. And it's not about reaching a certain state of inclusion, but rather having these processes there, these open conversations and the openness to, to change things. And that's really what inclusion is, at least from, from my perspective. Yeah, and uh, I, I fully agree. Yeah. And we, of course, uh, briefly spoke already before we started the recording. So we all also touched upon, okay, what is your understanding of the concept of inclusion? Basically, what, what pillars make, make up to inclusion then? I think one of those two we spoke about, uh, and of course, we are going to touch upon both of them, but we spoke about internal awareness and belongingness. And I think 
a sense of belonging is something that is being discussed more often these days already in companies. How would you define that uh, for people that are listening? What is belonging in an organization? So a lot of times it's it's focused on that feeling of of belonging. So being part of the team, having that place where you're you're welcomed and invited, and your opinions and your full you know your, your authentic self is welcomed in that environment. And that is it's really a subjective perception in that sense, and in which can be a bit tricky because then it's really about how that person feels in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a, a very worthy cause and something to strive for, but it's also, again, coming back to this process perspective, it's something that is an ongoing developing process of feeling more connected and more, more like you have a home in, in a certain place and you have your people. And so that's really what belongingness is, is focused on. To what extent do you feel like there's an overlap between belonging and feeling appreciated? So that's also, so in a way, appreciated is is actually another pillar. So in some some scholarship, they look at belongingness and what they call uniqueness and being appreciated then for your unique qualities or, or what you, because of your diverse background, whatever it might be, whatever you bring yourself then is recognized as unique and a valuable contribution. And then belongingness is again, that sort of that interpersonal relational side. And I think they're, they certainly work together. And so if you feel like you belong in a certain place, then you're probably also valued then for these for these differences and appreciated for them too. Yeah. So you could basically say it's 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 part of belongingness to to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. It feeds. I suppose all of these things feed into each other to a certain degree. It's you can't really have one without the other. And when you have them all together, then they they really kind of become more than the sum of their parts. Something that you, you uh, a pillar that you added yourself, and we, we spoke about it briefly before we started the recording, is what you call internal awareness. Could you explain what you mean with the term internal awareness when we talk about inclusion in the workplace? And so it's, it's also, a, it's a very fundamental idea. So it's really understanding yourself, how your own mind works, uh, also understanding the the needs that you have that you know could be addressed in the working environment, for example. And so if you have that clear understanding of yourself, then you can also more effectively advocate for yourself also or articulate the needs that you have. On the other side, so that's sort of this includee perspective. On the other side, you have the includers. And so those are the people that you need to be aware of your biases, perhaps, or you need to be aware of, okay, I have a certain pattern of conversation I engage in that doesn't allow for a lot of different opinions. So I need to learn how to, to maybe leave more space for other people to talk. So it's really having that understanding of the self and, and understanding how that connects to your ability to create an inclusive environment or to create that belongingness, for example. Okay, so something that we, for example, do with our customers is we give them unconscious bias trainings mm-hmm. uh, where we basically explain from a scientific perspective, how do biases arise in your brain? What are the, the cognitive processes that lead to being biased? What what kind of biases do you have mainly throughout the hiring process? Because that's where we focus on a bit more. Would you say that is then a practical way to improve that internal awareness? Yeah, I think any sort of introspection uh, and also let's let's say honest conversation with yourself uh, really helps with this. And I think this is this is also 
it's sort of one step away from also this subjective perception of my environment, rather uh, going looking inwards first and understanding, okay, this is this is how I operate, this is what I need, and then adjusting and communicating that to to hopefully receptive others. Yeah, yeah, check. So how to translate this model into practice? Because I think that um, I think that after your explanations, I do have a solid understanding of the belonging as part and the internal awareness part. And I think that if you would explain that to people, mm-hmm. I hope that if you explain that to most leaders, they would say, okay, this makes sense. But how to make that tangible for someone to apply that to an actual workplace? So here, for example, we uh, mm-hmm. here at Equals, we have 40 people. I think that we, the fact that I say I think is already, by the way, not a good mm-hmm. sign. So I don't, not, I don't know that for sure. But I think we have a good environment when it comes to diversity and inclusion. But yeah, as I mentioned, probably because of the fact that I say I think that's uh, yes. that's not a good sign. Uh, well, maybe it is a good sign because you're interested in knowing. You want to confirm and make sure... Yeah, but maybe if I would do it perfectly, then I would know how people. Uh, I think it, it's it's not good that we that I maybe assume that without being aware of whether that also applies to the people working here. But I think that's the part that we will get to now. So if yeah. I say, hey, I'm I'm a leader here in my company, and uh, the two pillars belongingness and internal awareness, it completely makes sense to me. How would you advise me to apply that to my work setting? And so I think, so first with the internal awareness side, it's about, so I, I kind of break that down also into two, two pieces a little bit further. So one is what I call consistent awareness. So it's this, this checking in with yourself. Um, it means building in habits. So when you find yourself in a situation where maybe biases might arise, or maybe you're not taking as much perspective of the others, or there's a potential to, to exclude somebody you know, and I, again, a lot of this, I assume comes from no, no male intent, but it's simply a lack of awareness. So instead we build consistent awareness. So we check in with ourselves, we slow down our automatic processing. We ask ourselves questions like, okay, I'm I'm feeling a certain way, or, you know, have I, have I looked around the room to see if anybody else has a question, little things that we build into the way that we talk to ourselves or the way that we, we interact in the environment. And the second part is then signaling the awareness. So I, I bring these two pieces in often. So there's the internal and then what I also show to others. And I think these two pieces work together. They're, they're really important because if I'm constantly working on my own internal awareness and then I'm also signaling it to other people, then they know that I'm I'm open and I am going to take opportunities to learn. So it really becomes more of a social process of inclusion, less of a okay, what can I, the, the full burden is on a single person. And especially that burden shouldn't land on the person being included, of course. And so the idea is to, to take that internal process and also signal, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm working on myself. And that it's, it's okay to be in process. You don't have to be there just yet. Yeah. So that's the internal awareness part. So as an example, um, I'm sorry for all my colleagues who were involved during lunch today. <laughs> That's what the example is about. Um, we were having lunch outside and we were, I don't know, at some point we were discussing French people and some of us made a couple of jokes about French people that they, not easy, that they, for example, keep talking French while they understand that you don't speak French, blah, blah. And we were making uh, some, some jokes about it. And then at some point I said, 
But why is it actually then that people, that a lot of people say, I don't like French people? Because is that then only because of the fact that they don't switch to English? Or why is it actually that we have that perception then of people? Would that then be an example of, okay, I'm more conscious about my unconsciousness and I speak, I, I say this out loud to the rest of the people in the team so that they also understand what I'm thinking about. Is that then an example of internal awareness? Yeah, uh, of, yeah, exactly. Of signaling the internal awareness because you're showing, yes, I have, I made this joke. Yes, I, I made this blanket statement, but I'm also questioning it and I'm also still processing it. And I think that's, you know, and especially I love this example of the jokes because I think these are things that we do. And it's actually a bid for social connection. We're trying to bond over some sort of, yeah. you know, understanding. And I, I actually find this really fascinating, this idea of going for these sort of low hanging fruit jokes because mm -hmm. they're relatively benign, but they're also, yeah. And, and so I think opening up a conversation and having that open conversation saying, yeah, okay, I meant it as a joke and I was relatively harmless. However, I'm noticing that there's some nuance here and that I am reflecting on myself thinking, why did I make that joke? Was I being, you know, sometimes I think to myself too, uh, making jokes, you know, also myself sometimes, uh, mm -hmm. am I just sort of being lazy in a way? Like I could be more clever if I put a little effort in but we go for these things. And so I think questioning, again, it's slowing down that process of uh, all that's all these automatic processes that happen within us and actually making it very conscious, which is a, a huge effort. So it's not to say that this is easy. It's, it's really something that requires a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically replacing your unconscious behavior by conscious behavior for the, 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 the largest part of the day. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And there's the proactive side of it. So trying to sort of filter, but also there's the reactive side. So like the situation you're talking about, like, okay, I've said this and then what do I do afterwards? And I think both sides are, are actually extremely valuable. So I a hundred percent do not want to say that we should be, you know, so, so careful that we're filtering and, you know, constantly in this filter mode, but rather also thinking about how do we how do we handle situations where maybe we said something that was a little bit, you know, flippant or, or it wasn't as inclusive as it could be. That's yeah. just as important. Yeah. And I think that we, um, so here at Equals here, I think we have, we have a super diverse team in terms of also backgrounds because we have 40 people in the team and I think we have 24 different nationalities by this point. So it's, it's, it's really a mixed team and we oftentimes joke around indeed uh, a little bit. So for example, uh, our head of science is German, so yeah. Dutch people always tend to make jokes about oh, Germans are so much more punctual, for example, than Dutch people. And but we indeed, as a team, we do it a lot. But we also constantly reflect on it's actually it's quite biased that we make those kinds of jokes. So I yeah. think it indeed it's in the first place you should be aware with those kinds of jokes, of course. But maybe it's indeed even more about making sure that people understand that you the fact that you made a joke about this doesn't mean that you don't think about the fact that it's super biased what I'm going to say. That is something that we say very often here at the team, like before someone starts talking, I know that I'm now going to sound biased and I am biased about this actually. Yeah. Um, so I really do agree with that part. Yeah. Okay, so that is then the internal awareness part. Then the belongingness part, because that might be even more difficult maybe. Yes. And, and, and so that is also you know, in, in our research pursuits of trying to, to make these definitions even more clear, we've really had a lot of intense debates around this. And so 
there is, so there, there's sort of a simple answer and there's a more complex answer, but I'll start with the simple answer. And the idea is that, you know, if I'm to make somebody feel included, if I'm trying to build that belongingness feeling, you know, the questions that I'm asking myself as somebody trying to be included. So as an includee is, you know, do I feel like other people care about me? Do I feel valued or seen as a, as a, as a team member? Do I seem, do I feel seen also for my, for my unique qualities um, and here it's also about sending these consistent signals. Now, you know, we can do things like building habits again as a, as a leader or as a team member to ask for feedback or give feedback, uh, for example, to show that, okay, I care, I'm investing time. Um, maybe even be very specific in the kind of comments that you give saying, okay, you know, you do this particularly well and I, I see that. Um, so it's a, it's a very social process and it's very much tied to then the perception of the includee. So it's, it's something that, again, it's not sort of a, an end state that you reach, but more, more about how do I, how do I, what is, how do I define my relationship? What behaviors are, are part of my relationship with my teammates? You know, do I ask for feedback? Do I check in with them if they're, you know, they're out sick, for example, make sure that they feel, you know, like we, we notice that when you're not here. It's kind of that, that's maybe the simple way to, to summarize it. Yeah, and I think that completely makes sense. And if I, uh, I'm in a risky zone now, you are much more educated on this topic <laughs> than I am. So I'm going to give my, uh, let's say, street Schwartz uh, perception of inclusion here. One of the things that I also find really important about inclusion is accountability. Uh, mm. And what I mean with that is that for example, the word woke is, I think, the word that I uh, I hear a lot these days. Uh, I think it's good that we uh, that everyone gets a bit more familiar with what that word means. Um, I also think that we are living in, well, 2022, the year in which we are living now. What I always find a bit annoying about um, everything related to diversity and inclusion is that people sometimes say like, oh, but I'm just, I just wasn't aware of the fact that that was offensive or, oh yeah. Uh, well, for example, we have Pride Month now. I think that's a good example. Or we had Pride Month. And I think there are still a lot of people then saying like, oh, it, 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 I didn't mean it to be offensive, uh, but I, I'm just not very aware of uh, LGBTQ plus. Like, I don't know what it means. So I personally feel that we are living in an era in which you can really not hide yourself behind the unknown anymore like there's a lot of education these days around all these kinds of topics would you agree with that so i i have two two opinions on it uh and one is yes and one is no <laughs> so, oh boy <laughs> so, the one, so i i do i you know we are in the age of information and it's it's like you would really have to be you know having your head in the sand to to not know some of these terms and, and you'd almost be actively avoiding it. Or on the other hand, though, in the age of information, we also know that, you know, if we go on Facebook, for example, the algorithms learn what we like, right? So the information we're actually even exposed to yeah. is curated based on our choices. And so, you know, I, I see it all the time, you know, in, in terms of, you know, if I linger too long on a certain reel on Instagram, then all of a sudden my algorithm is shifted. I'm being shown comedy constantly, which is great, but you can see how sensitive these things are. And so I think, so that's a, kind of shifting to my no, is that mm -hmm. I think people are unaware that they're unaware and that's the difficulty. And then coming, circling back to your point about accountability, but then, then they have an opportunity. 
they didn't know before, then they say, I didn't know. Please let me, let me take this opportunity to learn. Yeah. And I think that that's the part where I, if, if they don't take the opportunity, that's where I, I struggle. Cause I say, okay, it's a, if this is really the first time you've come across this information, I'm going to, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to, you know, give you the benefit of the doubt and, and say, all right, let's, let's learn then a little bit together here. And I'm not going to close down the conversation or judge them for not knowing because the idea is, you know, conclusion goes both ways in a way. It's like, I want to bring you over. I want to, I want to make you feel like you belong in this conversation. Not that yeah. you know, there's any sort of moral high ground that I'm taking and saying, just because I knew means that I'm better. It's like, no, I actually, you know, because, you know, to oversimplify it again, but because the algorithm sort of the algorithm of my life is I'm constantly exposed to these, this kind of information. Yeah. So yeah, a, and I, I, I do really agree. Uh, I, I'm sometimes a bit black and white in my, uh, <laughs> and I tend to have some bold opinions about things, but something that I'm super grateful of is that I grew up in a very privileged environment. I'm born in the Netherlands. It's, a, it's maybe one of the best countries to grow up. I had all the opportunities in life and I actually don't know why, but for some reason, the topic of diversity and inclusion triggered me that much at a young age that I decided to start a company around it, but it wasn't because of personal experiences. But now I have this company for, what is it, four or five years. So I had the opportunity to learn so much about well everything related to DE and I. I have so many cultures working here. At our Friday drinks, we don't, well, of course, we also discuss what we're going to do in the weekends, but we also have really nice discussions about these kinds of topics. So I educate myself quite well, I think, in an environment where everyone wants to be educated. And maybe that's where my statement comes from. I just find it unbelievable that today people still don't know some things which I'm like, that should be the basics of being woke these days. Uh, so then we had a discussion at the office last week. So I'm uh, I'm curious what you think about that. Shouldn't D and I be a course in high school? Oh, 100%. I, well, and actually, I, I will one-up you on that one. I actually think it should be woven in. Com- these conversations should be woven into to every course. I mean, that where it makes sense. I mean, I, mm-hmm. for one, you know, I have some liberties in in how I design my courses. And it's a topic I cover in everything I do that in negotiation, actually, because I find these, actually, I find these two topics highly related. So if I want to change something about my environment, I engage in a negotiation. And if I want to advocate for others, I'm actually engaging in a negotiation. And so I see these topics as so negotiation and diversity inclusion. These are things that you know, it's kind of like learning another language. You should yeah. be able you know, to help people have that shared vocabulary, have that shared definition, be able to speak intelligently about the subject. and develop a comfort level. Well, actually a comfort level with discomfort because you're not going to always know everything. You're going to say the wrong thing sometimes. It's just, we're, we're human. And it's about how you, you know, it's, it's that whole process of experience. It's being in that learning orientation, trying to, trying to educate yourself. And when you do misstep, how do you own it? And that comes back to that accountability again. You know, holding yourself accountable, not saying, oh, I didn't know. Therefore, that's the end of the conversation. Rather, take that as an opportunity. Be humbled and and learn. Yeah, absolutely. And now I'm maybe going one step too far, but something that I think of after I ask you the question and listen to your answer is that 
I think that your perspective on the world and uh, therefore also your perspective on diversity and inclusion is something that is quite deep rooted into your upbringing. Mm. So if if we would introduce a DEI course in high school, it will still be depending probably on the person giving that course on how you then will still perceive the definition of things. So is do you think it would ever be possible to make sure that everyone has the same understanding of this concept? Whew. That's a good question. I, it really depends. I mean, it's, it's interesting because as you were talking, I was, I was reflecting on a, so a sort of a, a movement that was happening in the U.S. last year where a lot of school districts were actually hiring equity coordinators or DEI experts to come in and reflect on the curriculum. And it became a political issue. We won't, you know, we don't have to get into that. But I thought you talk about a shared definition. So basically on one side of the aisle, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, comfortable concepts, good, good, positive connotation, right? Mm -hmm. And on the other side of the aisle, it was threatening. It was like, what what does that mean? It was, uh, you know, does that mean that, you know, the critical race theory was the big debate. Is critical race theory then going to be taught to our kindergartners? And it's, it's, you know, mind blowing ideas that, you know, on one hand you have a comfort level on the other hand, it's threatening and an unknown. So this, I guess the underlying question to this is, can we get everybody to even engage in the same, uh, in this conversation with an open mind? And that's, that's the part that I also don't know as somebody who, who gives trainings on diversity and inclusion. A lot of times it's, it's a wonderful group to work with because these are people who are self-selecting to this topic. And that's why I say it should be actually interwoven into other topics because yeah. then, then it's not people, otherwise they feel overwhelmed or, or like if, oh, I don't need to a- attend this training. If I attend this training, it means that I'm biased and I'm bad in some way. And that's, that's a, it's, it's an unfortunate narrative that developed around these kinds of trainings, but ra- rather it's, it's about, you know, all the things we talked about, about building relationships, about knowing yourself, about self-improvement and learning it's really more yeah. about those things less about who's good and who's bad it's, that was an oversimplification of, of how people feel and it tends to be a very emotional topic which is something that I think a lot of people don't recognize yeah yeah it's uh, by def by default an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people yeah uh, right. that's true uh, we always try to resolve that if we give our unconscious bias training uh, because I, I what I dislike about DNI trainings, or at least the ones I've seen, is that um, oftentimes people start to some sort of finger pointing to others, like, "Oh, yeah, you're biased, but I'm not biased. You're not inclusive, but I am inclusive." Exactly. That's that's the thing that I absolutely want to uh, prevent in those kinds of trainings. So what we always do is we, and that's thanks to our science team, by the way, is we always start with what literally happens in your brain. That causes biases. So we always explain it. You you know that of course, but like the you have millions of uh, MPs of information that you need to process every second. You can only process a couple of them. So you your mind needs to make shortcuts, and you make those shortcuts based on experiences, and that's how you get biased. And then you some sort of remove the level of okay, I'm comfort uncomfortable speaking about it because yeah. it's or at least that's that's what I hope it does because yeah. usually you see then that people think okay, we are all biased, so Let's let's move that part away then that we're going to bl- blame people for being biased, yes or no, and then move on to what can we actually do about it. 
but it's indeed uh, it's always a, an uncomfortable discussion. I I do yeah. agree. And and I I also start my trainings very similarly about you know this is sort of a getting down to the the biology or the neuropsychology of it all. Um, but I I also start with selling mistakes of my own. So oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 a little bit you know, and I I I try to make light of it and be like, all right, I'm here standing in front of you as the expert, but I want to tell you what that actually means to be the expert yeah. in this area. That means that when I make a mistake, so one of my favorite examples, it's just it's little things, and that's why you know I talk about everyday advocacy sometimes because it's it's about the everyday little things that add up to to shape people's experiences. And so one of my favorites was I just joined the University of Amsterdam and I, I run surveys in my class to give a sort of a self-assessment or a self-reflection um, you know, survey. Mm-hmm. And I also collect demographic information and then I can you know, use, the, use the results anonymously throughout the course to give some insights. And I had listed under gender male and female and I didn't have a, a third option. And I just, you know, I kind of one of those things you're prepping the class and you're trying to get all these different things in order. And somebody actually wrote me and I had this very humbling moment where I was like, yeah, that's exactly what happens. You're going fast. You don't slow down. You don't think about these other perspectives. And I immediately changed it in the survey. And I also talked about it in a, in a class and said, you know, this is, this is how it goes because I, again, I wanted to show the full process. Yes. I try to be aware. Yes. I, I am constantly learning. And when I make a mistake, I do something about it. And I, I, I'm accountable for it because I think at the end of the day, Again, we have to have that little bit of breathing space because otherwise that's where people start to feel limited or, or that they, you know, like, oh, I can't be perfect all the time. And it's like, yes, yeah, exactly. But rather, how do you handle your mistakes? That's, that's really a defining moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the most important thing about leadership as well but maybe I should follow one of your leadership courses <laughs> because I can use some practice in leadership. But I think that the most important thing is being able to be vulnerable yourself and showing that you, you're you human and you make mistakes and that that's okay. I think that the, the, the thing I always try to say here internally is let's please stop blaming people for their mistakes when it comes to DNI because it's already a topic where people are so on edge. So let's please yeah. stop blaming people, blaming people for maybe saying something that they should not say and instead just indeed use it as an opportunity to explain to them, hey, maybe that's not the, the nicest thing to say. This is why next time maybe you can do that differently. Yeah. And I think that's that's where it, where it all starts, showing vulnerability yourself and make sure that you don't turn it into a blaming game. Yeah, yeah, because the whole goal is to actually keep the conversation going. And so that's why coming back to that definition of inclusion that I said at the beginning, it's a dynamic process. Because it has, you know, people need to be involved and, you know, on both sides need to feel included and, and, and like they belong in that conversation. And so I think that's, yeah, that's, that's the key, at least from my perspective as well. Yeah, absolutely. I t- could talk, keep talking for yes. hours. It's <laughs> like a bit of philosophy session around the, yeah. I, I love it. I'm definitely going to invite you for a follow-up uh, <laughs> because I really enjoyed the conversation. Is there... One last thing, shout out, tip, trick that you would like to share with the people that are listening today. I think the the last, the, so maybe it would be a starting point. Let's put it that way. So if you're wondering, mm-hmm. where do I start with all of this? It's kind of intimidating. I, I would say actually be, so there's two things. One is I call it kind of thinking like a scientist. So observe your surroundings, be curious, see what's going on. 
uh, and apply the same then to yourself as well and reflect then also on your experiences. How did I experience that situation? And so then it's really, you're just in this observational mode. And so you, you're just learning about yourself. You're learning about your environment. And then the next steps come after that. So just start there. I love it. Great way to end up this episode. <laughs> hey, for everyone who's listening to the episode today, if you have any questions for uh, Brooke or for me, but I suppose it's not going to be for me, then, well, you're active on LinkedIn as well. Of course, you have your own website. Uh, go, please go check it out. I will make sure, by the way, to add the link to the, to the episodes. And I really want to thank you for being here today. And I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and yeah, we could have easily kept going. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> cool thanks and for everyone who's listening i um thanks so much for being here today and i hope to see you back on my next episode